For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. 706 on CJAD 800. Welcome to today's Entrepreneur presented by FL Fuller Landau, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with FL's Josh Miller. Good evening, Josh. Hello, Dan. And this evening on the program, we're talking about garages, and uh, we'll talk to uh, the man behind Garage Outfitters. Garage Outfitters, uh, I, I think people can equate it with, it's the California closets for garages. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, men who enjoy their garages and their man caves, you're definitely going to want to hear uh, uh, Andrew in a second from Garage Outfitters. That should be pretty interesting. Um, we'll also talk later in the program about IT. Uh, our specialist, Kevin Ammerman, will be on the program. Uh, but and, first... and, our, and our Twiddle Notes, this week in data loss, because, you know, there's always some theft, so the Twiddle Notes should be interesting this week. Yep, for sure. Always uh, hacks in the news. Uh, but first, um, some of the entrepreneurial stories making the rounds today. And we're, we always talk about businesses having to adapt, and some of them, you know, are, are victims of, of fashion trends or, or things like that. And, and the fur business is one of those. How, you know, it's, it's almost... It is really politically incorrect these days to to go around wearing fur. So you can imagine how that might pose some problems for people in the fur business. How are they adapting to changing times? Well, I think, you know, Montreal was seen as the fur capital of North America at one point. I mean, there were hundreds and hundreds of furriers here in Montreal. Today, I think, you know, if you're down to a couple of dozen, it's a lot. Uh, and there's there's no question. I, I remember we, we had an entrepreneur on here uh, a couple of years ago, Dan. It was uh, Maddie Yush from Harry Cannon. What she did, or what they were doing, is they weren't. It wasn't new. It was recycling. It was finding other uses. Well, that's a story that was that was in this week's paper, where there was a gentleman, and you know he's still a furrier. He's just shy of sixty, and he's been in this business forever and a day, and finding where his current groove is. He knows that it's dying. He knows that it's tough. However. There is a trend. There are some some companies and and some celebrities that still wear fur and and still promote it, uh, not necessarily overtly all the time, so they don't get splashed with with crazy blood or anything. But I think the the story is what you do with today's market, what you do with a product that was phenomenal 30, 40 years ago. How do you make it relevant today? And I think the recycling aspect of it is huge. And I believe that most furriers find a way to recycle, whether they're making, they're taking a coat and cutting it up and making it into scarves or they're making it into gloves or they're making, they're taking the, the fur and, and, and having it as an accessory to a piece of clothing. I think that's where the entrepreneurs that are a little more avant-garde, they're re, the ones that want to reinvent themselves, they're finding better uses, but it's not easy. This uh, story uh, reminds us of a company that we profiled actually on Today's Entrepreneur a couple years ago, uh, Revels, a Montreal-based company um, finding some success in China um, and some R&D success in China, really. This is Revels. So this is earbuds, essentially earbuds molded to your ear. Everybody says an uh, an inner ear is kind of like a fingerprint. There's no two that are alike. Um, And... This company that was that had supposedly a pretty good technology was trying to raise funding and they, they were doing okay, uh, but they they found their success by going to China in this case. There was actually an incubator, uh, a, you know, a company just in just outside of Hong Kong in Shenzhen, who was looking for these type of startup companies, these technology companies, and this this Canadian company said, you know what. 
let's reach out. Let's apply to this. You know, Dan, we've always said apply to different, you know, to win different contests or different programs. You never know what's going to come about. This company applied to this China incubator uh, even after the deadline. And they were accepted. This Chinese incubator loved their product, thought it was very innovative, thought it was today's, believed in that finger, that inner ear fingerprint, whatever you want to call it. And they gave them, not only they give them money, but they flew them out to China, to Hong Kong, set them up for a few months, helped them with their resources. Uh, absolutely tremendous. I think the lesson here is there's far more beyond your own backyard. Yes, you can go to the Montreal community, the, the venture capital community, the private equity community, the angel, uh, angel investor community, but that's just Montreal. There's so much more beyond that. And certainly when you're talking about technology and you're talking about making sure the logistics and all the labor is correct and there's there's no doubt that there's far more places well beyond Montreal. When I read about the Revel story I was surprised that two Canadians would would have access to that kind of R&D resource in another country. I think there's no question about it. The the owners that the Chinese owners of this incubator certainly looking to capitalize on other people's technology. And if they can do that beyond their own borders, they have the capital, they have the resources to do it. They might not have the innovation always. If they can buy that innovation and buy it fairly cheaply, then who wouldn't want to run with it? Hmm. Uh, interesting piece in a report on business from a few days ago. Crowdfunding can be a minefield for young companies, especially, uh, as the report says, if maybe you open a bit too big or raise a bit too much money. And, uh, you know, that could set a a tone for later on um, that you might be that might be hard to match. You know, I, I think you hear a lot of great Kickstarter stories or Indiegogo or whatever, whatever this crowdfunding type is. And what you don't always hear is, do these products always make it to market? Do they actually come to fruition? Do the people that have kicked in money actually get their free product or their whatever, whatever it might be? You never know. The lesson or the, the, the story that we're, that's in this article is about knowing when to go to that crowdfunding market. If you go too soon, but your logistics aren't, aren't properly or you're, you, haven't, you have a great prototype, but you haven't figured out how to mass produce it, you really could fall, fall flat on your face. So what could turn out to be a great Kickstarter type story, a great crowdfunding type story might just fall flat if you can't meet the desires, the demands, the expectations of the people that have funded you. And there's, it's one thing to make a prototype. It's another thing to go mass produce it and to mass produce it 15,000 miles away. There, there's no question there are certain challenges and then there's the logistics, of course. If you can get that set up to begin with or a little bit more realistic to begin with, then you make your crowdfunding opportunity so much more appealing to the to to the world and i think some people go to crowdfunding a little bit too early and then the danger is falling flat on your face when you can't deliver this story also from report on business uh, obviously we had a, a pretty warm winter and that poses some problems for those that are in seasonal businesses um if you're relying on the cold or maybe on the other side the the the, the heat what can entrepreneurs? What should entrepreneurs keep in mind if um, if they are so heavily reliant on the weather and stuff out of their control? I think the question is how quickly can you react? How nimble is your business? How much can you turn on a dime? And how much can you think ahead? There's a lot of entrepreneurs uh, that you know are are a little stuck in their ways, but there's many, and and we've spoken to a lot on the show, Dan, that that really do have some vision and some future and do keep their finger on the pulse of what's coming. 
And if you if you see that it's a warm winter, and you can certainly look ahead, whether it's a farmer's almanac for whatever you believe in, but if you can plan ahead and say, hey, you know what, it might not work out this winter, or do I adjust so that I, I have, you know, different MOQs, minimum order quantities? Do I adjust so that I have a little more basic so I know that I can keep it for next season? Do I adjust so that I, I maybe alter my merchandising because it's going to be a little bit thinner coats are needed instead of heavier coats, and particularly in warm weather? I think it's the entrepreneur that really has to keep their eyes open constantly. You sit down and you, you rest on your laurels for just a moment and you can be totally dead in the water. And finally, uh, as of uh, around now, actually, the U.S. duty-free limit for web purchases is, is now 40 times higher than Canada's. So the, the, the duty-free limit for Canada, if you want to buy from the U.S., is 20 bucks. Uh, if you want to buy something online from, from the U.S. And, and bring it over, it's great, it's 20 bucks. It used to be, if the U.S. was buying from Canada, it used to be they had a $200 limit before duty was applied. Now it's an $800 limit. So there's good and bad to this, of course. Naturally, from a from an online, from a, an e-tailer, if you will, it's great because the dollar works in their favor. You Americans are buying, send it out. They don't have to pay as much duty. They can be cheaper. I think that's fantastic. From the other side, from the, the retailers that are saying, hey, that means that Americans might don't have to actually physically shop more here. They don't have to come across the border. They, you know, they... There's a, there could be a lot more competition for certain areas. So you have competing factors. Overall, I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's ultimately where we're heading to some degree that there has to be some stimulus uh, you know, for, for the economy. And I, I think that's uh, it's a good thing in the end. We'll talk about uh, the garage of your dreams with Garage Outfitters in a moment. Uh, Andrew, from, uh, from that organization coming up on today's Entrepreneur. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Inspiring stories from outstanding business people, Dan Delmar and FL Fuller Landau's Josh Miller with you on today's Entrepreneur. And this evening, our profile is Andrew Voyjack of Garage Outfitters. Andrew, welcome to CJD. Hey, how are you guys? Good. How are you doing? Good. So tell me about Garage Outfitters. This uh, this seems like a pretty uh, pretty cool operation. You get to, you get to make... Uh, male dreams come true. As much as I do, yeah. Sometimes female uh, too. Yeah, I would say that. Uh, uh, but it's a, but it's a PG rated show, Dan. So we can't <laughs> talk about that. I would say actually a good seventy five percent of my original emissional meetings with clients are uh, women based. You know what I mean? So uh, hmm. it's a lot of a lot of back and forth between both. But uh, no, the whole company is. Uh, the, the the main idea of it is I'm the California closets of the garage, and uh, you know I started it over eleven years ago with a hope and a dream and uh you know i've built myself a little little company and i've been able to support uh, a few families and you know really be the the called the marriage counselor of the garage you know the family so now when you say california clauses i mean pretty pretty much a lot of people have an idea that you're really you know being creating a space that's super organized that's right but is it from beginning to end i mean is it floor is it cabinetry is it electrical like, like kind of describe to us what you touch from a garage outfitter standpoint we specialize in finishing. So where I do help out with is from the initial, hey, I've got a completely uh, empty room or it's completely full and I've got to help out with the creatives to, hey, I've got to add new lighting, heating, insulation to busting out the floors, uh, concrete floors that is, and redoing it from scratch. So I'm literally your 
if you want to call it your you know generic one-stop shop for the garage but i do everything and a lot of times we work with a core group of guys that give us the help to really fulfill people's dreams at as much as we can and as speedy as possible so that there isn't any kind of drag on so now what were you doing before this did you have a background in any construction or anything like that Absolutely not. Um, I was working at a advertising firm out in Montreal and just got out of Herzing Institute. And once again, like, hey, I'm a I'm a marketing degree guy and whatever that meant. And you know, I figured out sales was something I really enjoyed doing. I also enjoyed working with my hands. And as my guys know, I'm not the fastest at it, but I I do have a passion of helping people. And I tried to put all my you know. M- things of that I enjoyed doing in life and tried to group them together. And, you know, I had aspirations of, uh, designing, I've had aspirations of being a contractor, a fireman and, you know, and I enjoyed doing sales and kind of meeting people and being my own boss. And I managed to put all those things together. Yeah. I'm a firefighter all day long because I got to put up fires for making people happy and, you know, short, short bursts of, Hey, I got to do this, fix that right then and there. And I do a lot of so much design to 3d renderings to, you know, taking phone calls and all of it. So yeah, it's, did it's you like, did you have to fall flat on your face in the marketing job to get this started? Absolutely, yeah. I uh, as a few of the uh, my employers back then knew because there was a few guys that owned the company. Uh, I wasn't a success. I uh, I basically flopped hard, and uh, thankfully I was able to create myself a buffer prior to starting that company. Uh, prior to starting Garage Outfitters, I had a few months reserve where I was able to really just take. Um, you know, the amount of money that I had to sit back and kind of review what I wanted to do in life. And I was very fortunate to have good friends around me that had already started a few companies and really were able to just feed off their ideas. And they're just like, start something, something, you know, and looking at their success, I was very fortunate to have them as mentors, you know, so. So from marketing to Garage Outfitters, uh, kind of where that came from, very interesting. When we come back from the break, we'll figure out why Garage Outfitters stood out to you. Andrew Vojak of Garage Outfitters, our profile this evening on Today's Entrepreneur. Professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. 7.25 on today's Entrepreneur. Our guest this evening is Andrew Wojak of Garage Outfitters. So you started out as a marketer. Andrew, what made you want to sort of do something more with your hands? Uh, Just I enjoyed creating things and I really had a passion for just putting things together as a kid I was always even it was funny I looking back and I was like 12 13 years old I was always playing in my gra- my father's garage uh, you know outlining things where the tools are supposed to go and I just I, I kind of put everything back together and I looked at it like what's going to make me happy and yeah if I can do all the things that I really enjoy doing and wanted to do in the future and I managed to get it all done and yeah the days are long god knows how many people have <laughs> waited for me for suppers but <laughs> so so garage yeah. outfitters did yeah. you was that something you created did you find it elsewhere like what was where did that idea come from um working for the marketing firm i had a few uh conversations with people that i was able to uh you know promote the idea of marketing to and uh one of them was a company that had a garage uh and it was doing garage services and i was like that's pretty awesome you know what i mean 
Um, and I met, uh, I met a few people after my kind of departing from the marketing company, um, that had established businesses and, you know, they were doing very, very well for themselves in the States. And I was like, Hey, no one's really doing it in Montreal. And the closets were the real big kick back then, you know, 10 years, I look back, if everyone was talking closets, you know, you were doing really well for yourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, garages was still garages. Are you crazy? You're going to put money in your garage. And I guess it was only for, you know, the more astute financial people that were able to do this kind of thing. But, you know, we've made it so cost effective and easy to manage right now that anybody can do it. So Uh, it's true. I would think that if you're going to be spending, if you have disposable income, uh, garage might not be the first thing you spend your money on. Mm. Yet it's an important aspect of the house and it, it certainly areas and there's, there's people that, that have the money to spend it. So when you're starting out garage outfitters and it's, it's brand new and, and it's ju- just yourself, but you need some capital to go in. I mean, you said you had a bit of a reserve, of a reserve yep. but how was your financing? Did you, did you go to banks? Like what was your, uh, what was I... your experience there? <laughs> uh, starting off, uh, you know, the banks weren't as helpful because, you know, they, they said you have to have money to borrow money. And I was like, what? I got nothing to start a real company on. Um, you know, I, I've turned to the family and friends and I was denied from a few of them as well, as well from the few banks, but, uh, I was fortunate enough to give, uh, given a, a good lump sum of money from my grandfather and that kind of gave me the boost to really, uh, really give me the confidence, you know, and he said, was uh, he, was he tough with the money? He said, oh, you, yeah, like, yeah. you know, <laughs> I'm giving it to you, but if you don't get it back to me. Yeah. Uh, he, uh, he put me on a timeline and he, he basically said, hand over the car keys, hand over this and sign everything off. And I was like, okay, you know what? I've got to hand it off. And at the point where I was able to really start paying him back and it took me a little while, but you know, he, he gave me the, the time to really just, uh, you know, figure out life and, uh, I paid them all back and, and, and then some as much as I can. And, you know, he's still a big part, a very part of my life. And as much as everyone else is, my whole family, they really do support me. So, so over the years, uh, certainly the beginning and, and certainly more now that your projects are, are you know, quite numerous, cash flow has got to be something that you, you manage to, to learn over time. And, and, and I guess always keep your head above water. Was it difficult to, to learn? Is that something that, that... It, it still is an ongoing experience as like, you know, a definite entrepreneur for me as someone who can pay for his mistakes and keep on going. And yeah, I've, uh, I've paid. And, uh, fortunately enough, I have a few good supporters and, uh, financial institutions that do trust me. You know, I've had one, uh, where, uh, account manager basically said, you know, like she basically signed off on a, on a amount of money that I was really able to really start opening up the doors of container sh- owning a container from China and bringing it in and giving me that kind of cash flow again. How so, many, how many years into your business were you able to get to have uh, that done? Uh, it was like probably year three, uh, you know, being like cutting any kind of ties from uh, reality of, Hey, I can make other money elsewhere. And I just really focused on it. So. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. 7.36 on Today's Entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with FL Fuller Landau's Josh Miller. And our guest this evening is Andrew Voyjak of Garage Outfitters. Pretty cool business that you started, Andrew. Uh, I mean, you you basically soup up people's garages and uh, sounds like a lot of fun. Can you tell me about a couple of the projects that are um, the most memorable to you, the, the craziest garages you've designed? Uh, there was uh, one we did out in Utremont for a guy that basically built his house around his garage. Hmm. Um, he had dug out as much as possible out of the ground and made himself various layers to park each car. And he had managed to put in uh, a Lazy Susan because... 
there was enough space, but he wanted to have that cool feature where his car was spinning, so at least he can watch it all the time. And that was uh, that was pretty it's, cool. It's like the old Batman. He drove in first. It spun around <laughs> yeah. so you can actually drive out so you don't have to back out. Yeah. Very yeah. cool. So, which of course, you know, and right at the beginning of the program, you were saying how you flopped at the advertising, but marketing has got to play a huge role. I mean, you're starting out your business and these cool places, I mean, word of mouth, there's no question that your work will speak for itself. Mm. But what did you do? Like, you know, what kind of worked for you at the beginning or versus what's working for you now? Um, well, looking at the whole idea of my business, you know, it's a very luxury based business. So I had to look at companies that were successful in my, not necessarily my field, but you know, where they're, they're selling luxury goods. And a lot of the, a lot of the marketing ideas came from trial and tribute, you know, and being very astute with my money as much as possible and trying to choose the right advertising medium. And I've been very fortunate to choose a lot of the right mediums that have given me the success I have today. Uh, you know, a lot of the things now, when I first started, weren't available. You know, the online presence now, if you don't have a good online website, you know, to really showcase your goods and have that image installed in the client that, you know, you are a professional enterprise, you know what I mean? You have to get that, you have to get image across right away. And then, from there, it's a really big factor in your business right now. Do so. testimonials work for you, do you find? Absolutely. I think that, you know, uh, advertise, basic, you know, word of mouth and having that kind of, um, you know, on your website, if you go on Facebook and stuff like that, you'll be able to get a lot of good testimonies and that does help, you know, and you'll be able to get that kind of, hey, I've worked in your area and a lot of the helps. So, Is there anything that didn't work over time? Well, yeah. Um Lot. Um, <laughs> Pick one or two. Uh, let, let other people learn from your mistakes. What I've done is, you know, try to associate myself with the ultra high end magazines, you know, and putting myself in these high end designer books uh, that are costing an absorbent amount of money to be in a book, and you're being lost, and your message doesn't come across properly. You know, uh, what I've always done is try to stick to the rule of three. If you try three times, and hopefully it'll work. Um, and it, it hasn't always worked. You know, you put hundreds and thousands of dollars into marketing and you pray that it works. But once again, you know, if you meet a right client that understands your vision of what you're trying to offer them and, you know, the word of mouth does get around and you you build yourself off that and you keep on going with the marketing. You don't realize, you know, everything that happens, but you do realize that, you know, money has to be injected into advertising on a daily basis. And if you don't, you're kind of falling at the wayside, so... Now you you came from a trade show today to to do the show. Absolutely, the, yeah. <laughs> what is your opinion of trade shows? Oh, trade shows are for your business at least. Um, my business because I'm a very visual business. You know, people have to see what I'm offering them. You know, you can't just be told over a phone, "Hey, you know, you got to buy this item because it's going to change your life." They really have to touch and feel your product. And having my showroom and having a mock-up showroom of what I do in trade shows really gets people to understand the quality. You know what I mean? I've always based myself, I'm not a Costco, I'm not a Renault Depot. I am not associating with those companies, but I offer a product that has a lot of quality to it. And, you know, associating myself with, like, if you would, the California closets of companies, you know, you're buying a, you're buying a luxury good, but you also want to be treated as much, you know what I mean? And with making sure that you get that quality and that customer service behind it. And that's where a lot of success comes from. So, so trade shows are good in your opinion? 
Exhausting, maybe. Exhausting, absolutely. It burns you out, but I think it's definitely a positive in any business to be part of them. And, you know, as much as they do hurt to spend the money on for X amount of time, it is definitely something that you will see value over a period of time. So if you're dealing with a luxury item and everything is pretty much custom, Mm -hmm. how do you find your pricing? And your pricing today, like versus when you first started out and not knowing it, how did you how did you work out and what what was your strategy of finding your right price uh, category? Um, I started off with being a customer um, and calling a lot of U.S. companies and just picking their brains and you know I wouldn't say that I I did the false interviews of having people over my own parents' house, but a lot of it was based on just you know doing research, market research, you know finding out what guys that are successful doing, and you know it's been a lot of cold calls out to the States and saying, Hey, you know, I see you have a successful business, you know, what works and trying to speak to the owner and my previous marketing background, I was always trying to chase the owner. So I had a little bit of experience on how to chase the person down with the right, right answers that I would ask questions for. And it, it turned out really positive. So, uh, that was my beginning of it. And now, you know, it's just experience and what market is accepting, you know, you have to change your pricing, you know, there's so many avenues out there, but it's a question of just keep advertising and focusing on your uh, focusing on your client and trying to make them happy so speaking of, of making clients happy you must deal with a lot of uh, couples who might have competing visions of what their garage should look like how do you how do you settle that especially when you're trying to push one side of the couple for a more expensive option um that's a delicate question Dan. yeah yeah um, I, i'd like to see you answer that question i'm, I'm, I'm not mentioning any genders here i'm just saying well there's you know what i i find that in any good marriage there's a lot of compromising and you have to be respectful for both parties you know and as i said i do meet a lot of women that have an envisionment for their home and yes you know, it is a, it is a couple decision and I have to be respectful for both points. Um, you know, we do, we do create a lot of custom walk-in type solutions for garages. And at the end of the day, yes, we try to appeal to both sexes. So there isn't really one design that wins over the other, but when I do my presentations, I'm, I'm, I'm on both sides, you know what I mean? And I can't be, you know, Hey, you know, I've got this great idea that's going to work for you, but not for you, you know? And most of the time, for whatever reason, a lot of, um, uh, matriarchs in the home will tend to give the garage up as their kind of you can have it honey and make it yours it's not all the, it's not always the, not always the case but a lot of times it tends to be that and most of the time it's hey okay put stainless steel here do some red cabinets there you know do the floor this way and they're just like carte blanche honey you've given me the house you know what i mean so you're you're talking about the different type of materials i would imagine i mean you've been doing this 10 11 years mm. technology and the types of materials that you can use and you you do use, has that changed drastically? If you had to kind of update it, certainly the design aspect, I'm sure, has helped greatly. What about on the material side? Um, we've reduced a lot of our overseas purchases because it was bogging us down with huge inventories and demanding cash flow uh, cash flow outputs. And you know, we've managed to keep ourselves uh, really, really f- up to date with just constantly doing R&D and searching and uh you know we've managed to keep ourselves above if you would the big box chain um quality but being very competitive in a price point as well and it is a question of constantly doing research you know I've had countless countless arguments with suppliers and just trying to adapt a product to make it the way I feel would be the best for a client and you know well received and a lot of it's worked and a lot of it hasn't but 
you try to adapt and you adapt and you adapt and you constantly just look for the next, I would say the next best thing, but you kind of want to make a client happy with what you're giving them. And you have to constantly put that effort into it. And if you're not re, re uh, revamping yourself on a six months period, you're kind of, you're the old dinosaur, you know? So, and certainly with a number of technology changes in any business, I mean, yours too, with the type of materials and the software, it's, uh, you really got to stay on top of it to give that best product. You're giving a luxury product. So you, you got to stay on top of it. Technology is huge. And speaking of technology, Dan, uh, that's, that's where we're heading to next. Yes, Kevin Ammerman, IT specialist at Fuller Landau, will join us next. We'll also talk about uh, Twiddle this week in data loss. And uh, Andrew Vojak of Garage Outfitters will offer up his one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. 749 on today's Entrepreneur, inspiring stories from outstanding business people. Dan Delmar and FL's Josh Miller with you. We'll have Andrew Vojak of Grouch Outfitters. Uh, one piece of advice for today's Entrepreneur on the way. Uh, but first, we welcome back Kevin Ammerman, IT consultant at Fuller Landau. Welcome back, Kevin. Thank you. And so, Josh, we'll start uh, with IT issues and data loss. Twiddle, twiddle. This week in data loss, uh, you know, we could probably do this almost every week. Uh, it's kind of scary uh, what kind of information gets stolen, but... Kev, what's, uh, what's the latest uh, in our Twiddle notes? It goes on and on. There's one, one of the big ones is the IRS. This is sort of the, the ghost of last year's IRS breach. So last year, uh, hackers managed to sort of exploit the system and submit people's tax returns on their behalf and uh, collect the checks and then disappear before the actual taxpayers had the chance to do it themselves. And the IRS stepped in and they took some, you know, they made some moves to try and protect these people set them up with uh, credit monitoring and things like this. But unfortunately, the service that they set them up with was compromised. And the hackers managed to attack the same people again this year, just by guessing the, some common security the questions. The exact same people. The exact same people. The hackers knew that these people had been provided with this credit monitoring service. And in order to log into that service, people had to provide uh, answers to four unfortunately way too simple questions so things like uh former addresses or uh or amounts of loans such as student loans and things like this and th this was easily guessed by people just going onto facebook and looking around a little bit how, mu how much i mean there's there's a lot of information that we provide online again like you say whether it's social media or other how how easy is it for somebody to get you know we're talking about open available public information not private stuff not stuff you keep on your 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 desktop at home, or is that what is that what people are looking at? Um, the stuff that gets compromised the most often is relatively public information. So in this case, it's government information. Um, some of the other stuff that gets stolen all too frequently is uh, credit card information or uh, uh, transaction databases from online services. Um, but the problem is, people hackers can you know compile that information and cross-reference it. So they'll get data from, say, the IRS hack, and then some more data from maybe Ashley Madison, and all of a sudden they've got a pretty thorough profile of a victim. Because, you know, Ashley Madison people pay taxes, so hey. Well, you know, you start cross-referencing credit card numbers, things like this, and all of a sudden you have the real identities of those Ashley Madison people, right? So... So what what other uh, IRS? Uh, that's a big one, of course. So the ghost of Christmas past. But uh, any others that uh, that hit your list? Another one, another tax-related one, was uh, a pretty big technology company, Seagate, uh, was hit with a phishing attack. So hackers sent emails to sensitive employees, key employees at the company, requesting American W two data, 
um, which is, you know, that's quite a lot of information. It's all the social insurance numbers, uh, income, you know, addresses, the, the works. And uh, apparently they were quite convincing because one of the employees at Seagate sent information on all current and past employees. And in Seagate's, I don't know how many thousands of people they employ, but it's quite a few. Um, they sent the whole kit and caboodle, everything to the hackers. So that's out there. It's now for sale on the internet. And again, these people can just buy that information from these dark net brokerages and compile information. Or of course, there's the ransomware, the people that hold information for ransom and then kind of want you to pay them to get it back. Yeah, that's a whole nother target. So that's a little bit more through spyware and uh, these scams where companies claiming to be Microsoft call you on the telephone and try to get remote access to your computer. Um, and then, of course, encrypt all your files and demand money in order to get it back. So naturally, the entrepreneurs that have all this data, they have to try to find a way to protect their customers. So when we come back from the break, maybe there'll be uh, one or two things that the entrepreneurs can think of smartly to protect this data from from hackers like this. Plus, Andrew Wojak's one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur that's on the way. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. And we'll have Andrew Wojak's one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur. He's from Garage Outfitters, so that's on the way. But first, Kevin, Kevin Ammerman, IT specialist with Fuller Landau, uh, talking about uh, this week in data loss and other IT issues. And we were talking about, you know, all this data loss, all these entrepreneurs that hold a lot of important data of their of their customers. What are some of the things, uh, Kev, that, that entrepreneurs can do to protect this data so that it doesn't get lost or, you know, kind of taken by hackers? It's a huge range of information. So it's not only the clients, but your employees and your suppliers as well. So just be aware of what you're asking, the information that you're asking your clients to provide you, and be careful who you're dealing with. So even like credit card providers and other online services, be, be wary of what you're giving them on behalf of your clients, and be aware that you might be responsible for that. So check with your insurance people too. Does it make a difference if they, if, if entrepreneurs hold their customers' information in the cloud versus on their own server? Probably not too much. We get a lot of questions about that, mostly in terms of jurisdiction. So if it's stored in the States versus Canada. But honestly, there haven't been a lot of uh, lawsuits go down yet that really answer that question very nicely. Because you, you can find ways to protect your data regardless where it's stored. Exactly. So by encrypting it properly and you know safeguarding it the right way, you, you get around those problems to a degree. And certainly backing up information, testing your backups to make sure it's the correct information, uh, you know, updated information. I guess there's there's a, a almost a, a whole policy manual that you could create or follow. That doing good backups will really help you in, in the events of those uh, ransomware kind of schemes. Is there, would you say it's, it's almost required to have that disaster recovery plan or, or part of your disaster plan is what happens if? hundred percent. You got to have scenarios. You got to run through not only what happens if, if your laptop gets stolen or if your building catches fire or if your client's building catches fire. Um, you've got to take all those things into account and think of ways to deal with it. It's, uh, it's, it's, there's no question. There's a ton of things to, to think of. And it's as, as technology gets even faster and, and stronger, who knows what's coming next. Thanks very much, Kevin. Uh, lots of things to think about and to deal with. And as we come up to the last moment of the shows we do every week, We'll look at uh, Andrew Wojak of Garage Outfitters and ask you, Andrew, what would be your one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur? I think know your limits. Make sure that you understand uh, what you can deliver and trying to set realistic expectations on 
your staff, making sure that you can fulfill on your word. And every entrepreneur has the the goal of serving as many people. And yeah, the, the hope one day that everything is going to become amazing financially. But you know what? Take your time. Figure it out. There's no there's no secret to success. It's hard work and perseverance, and the rest will come in. You know, I was always told five star service, five star product, and money will be a byproduct. And if you follow those key little details, you, you're set for life. You know, and just make sure you surround yourself with a great, great family and friends, and cherish them because at the end of the day, you have you have to make money, and that's part of it. But take your time and just really focus on your family and make sure that you're happy. So. Great many words of advice, uh, Dan. My quick takeaway is, you know, so many entrepreneurs are great at what they know. They don't always deal so well with what they don't know. What Andrew is saying is perfectly true. Know your limits, know what you can't do, and deal with it accordingly. Don't pretend to be all things to all people. Thanks, Andrew Voyjak of Garage Outfitters for stopping by the program this evening and to Kevin Ammerman, IT specialist at Floor Landau. Uh, we're back in uh, next week, actually, next Monday night at 7 here for today's Entrepreneur. The Exchange with Dan Spector is next. Have a good night. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com.